Uh, Scott. Yo! What are we doing about the other con? Con! <laughs> the Tampa Bay con. Well, I haven't, I haven't been hit, I haven't hit my friend yet. Um, Why are you hitting him? Why are you hitting him? Stop hitting me. Stop hitting me. Are you sure that would be all right with the missus? Yeah, I, I already talked to her. She, of course, she's like, you know, you're going to have a little sleepover. Aww. <laughs> gonna, uh, make I'm, sure I'm really you... thinking I like your wives more than I like you guys. <laughs> hey. They make me laugh. Fun. What can I tell you? <laughs> I like you. You make me rough. Bay. <laughs> Carrie Fisher's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, autographs Ooh. and photo ops are 75 bucks. Who's Man. there as far as... Uh, Comics? As far as, yeah. Uh, I'm getting there. I'm scrolling Off down. Off the top of your head, who would you pay 75 bucks for a photo op with? There aren't too many that I can Stan pay. Lee. Well, I already have Stan Lee, so I wouldn't. I'm thinking William Shatner, maybe. Nah. Um, I can only think of dead people. Like, if they were able to resurrect some people, I'd pay $75. <laughs> the comic creator guests, uh, the three biggies are Neil Adams. Ooh. He's at, like, every show ever. Mark Wade. All right. All right. He John stands Bo- behind you online all the time. What's the big deal there? <laughs> yeah, that's true. He, he was standing behind me once in line. Uh, John Bolton. Doesn't he sing those lame songs? Yeah. It was just... <laughs> that would be his brother, Michael. Oh. Uh, Chuck Austin. A man barely alive. Carlo <laughs> Barberi. Barberi. The Coast. Simon Bisley. The guy from uh, American Idol. Jamal Eigel. <laughs> See if I can mischaracterize everyone. <laughs> Jamal Eigel. Wasn't he one of the Cosby kids? Kev Hopgood. He was in that movie about going to White Castle, wasn't he? <laughs> Kev Hopgood. Oh, yeah. Well, he was great in uh, Silence of the Lambs. No, I thought he was in Bonanza. <laughs> no, that's Hopsing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Avengers Spotlight! Yeah, we, we, we haven't done anything yet, and we're after nine, so we probably get a... After nine, we're gonna get the show started, get the show started, get the show started. Nah, that's The reason I'm even mentioning it is just because there is every possibility of losing me if we go too late, because I'm, I'm feeling the crunch, man. Well, don't worry, man. You're, you're a special guest star. Oh, Scott. Uh, hey. No, 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 no. You didn't let me finish. You're a special guest star in the book. And I'll oh, point yeah, out where I'm, you are when we go through oh, it. Oh, good lord. Come on, it's uh, easy. I'm going to flip through right now and see who's the fattest guy in the book. No, 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 no. There's one picture. It ought to just leap right off the page, and, and you should just immediately know which character you are. I'm, I'm looking for it right now. Hmm. 
I don't see anybody who's going. Oh, you are so close, Paul. Hmm. It's not that guy on the bottom of page 14 going, yeah, with his toucan, is it? See, in my book, it's page 127, which means nothing to you guys. I'm the mysterious hand reaching out. Of what? (laughs) We are doing 172, right? I am looking at the right book, right? Yeah. Yeah, I hope so, because that's what I'm looking at, too. It's towards the end. Towards the end. Yeah, I'm the mysterious hand reaching out. Four pages from the end. Is is it when when T-Rex goes, yeah? (laughs) Close. Uh, Why don't you just tell us? Well, tonight... (laughs) Scott Gardner will be playing the role of Simon Williams as he chucks Tarek back into the sea. Oh. See, I, wonder, I wondered if that's what it was. So he throw him back. <laughs> Tell you what, give me just a second. I'm going to go grab a quick drink before we get started. Right, okay, I'm going to do the same thing then. Scotch and uh, Scotch and Bill, Mountain you Dew. just told Yeah, I wish. <laughs> yeah, go ahead with your synopsis. We'll be back. Blah 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 blah. Well, I got to do the talking. That's right. I'm in charge here. You guys just be quiet while I just uh, hog the show. It's the Bill Show, man. Don't you forget it. The Bill Show. It's the Bill Show. What a show. I got no words that go with Bill Show. Except Bill Show. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll read this as Spongebob this time. <laughs> okay, we can. Yeah, screw that. I'll be, we'll be able to talk by the end. Kyrak. Kyrak. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this was the... I have to bring this up in the show. This was the cover that at Conjure, a guy had done a reproduction of. It was like a four foot, five, maybe five foot tall painting of this oh, cover. Really? Yeah. It actually looked pretty good. I think there was a picture back in the Conjure. Yeah, I, think, uh, I think you had posted stood, a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted like, I think he wanted like $400 and then at one point he was like 200 and I was like ah, no. You turned into Peter Griffin? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> I did. I was so tempted, so tempted, but I was saying this guy, remember when, um, I guess this could, this could go into preamble, remember this cover to this book? The guy had the reproduction at Conjure. Oh, that's right, yeah. I and he was looked familiar. And he was pimping it for like $400, and I'm like, nah, 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 and then he went to 200 and I was like, ooh, ah. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, how am I going to explain to my wife, yeah, honey, it's a, it's We're a hang in our bedroom. <laughs> right Look, next uh, to the velvet naked lady. We'll, we'll, t- <laughs> we'll take down the picture of your mom and we'll put this up. We don't need all those pictures of the kids. Put it right there. It'd be great. <laughs> Would you forget what they look like? I don't see Hawkeye every day. <laughs> <laughs> have Cap looking down on us when we're having sex. Look at that face. Ugh. <laughs> They're all shocked. Yeah, exactly. You've got Ms. Marvel going, oh, dear God, no. Vision's going, ah, I killed my eyes. Ah, I burned out my (laughs) robotic eyes. I don't want to see this. I thought he was busy warming my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna use that solar gem right up and, you know, and lance my hemorrhoids. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, God. (laughs) Vision, 
proctologist. Oh, that's, that's a vision I didn't need. Thank you. <laughs> what? What? Mister Vision, proctologist. <laughs> Does anybody want to bring this in? Where are my glasses? I can't see nothing. Your spectacles? Ah, oh, Jesus Christ! We spectacles. Hang on. <laughs> oh, Scott, you've done it again. Average <laughs> to Murgatroyd. <laughs> Oh, McGurker. So, our first letter today. (laughs) Dear Avenger Spotlight, I never thought this... Whoa, wait a minute. All right, I'll read this later. Wrong folder. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. I swear. Podcasting with you people is making me stupid or something. No, no, it's not us. You were stupid way before this. (laughs) Okay. All right, everybody ready? I am ready. I am ready. Oh, God. Now I'm ready. Hello, and welcome to episode... What are we on, Paul? I don't know. Okay. Something in the teens. Oh, the Avengers Spotlight. I think, I think this is like 14, 18, isn't it? Oh. No, no, no. No, we're not that far. Wait, let me check real quick. I just listened to the last episode on my uh, drive to and from work today. So you feel like you're all up to date on it? You listened to the last episode, meaning episode 200? Or the no, last Avengers well, Spotlight. A uh, last Avengers Spotlight. Okay, the last one was thirteen, so this is fourteen. Ah, this is fourteen. Yeah, this would be the Korvac Saga Part Five, number Cinco. five. Cinco de Korvac. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, was, I was so looking forward to this. I was so excited. I'm like, oh man, yeah, Korvac and all that beautiful Perez art and everything. And then yeah, yeah <laughs> not so much. Womp. Yeah, you bring me in the issue just after you got Klaust, baby. Yeah, thanks. Klaus! Yeah, we, we, we're going to have some talking about the uh, art in this one. Hey, you were always welcome for the other ones. Nobody kept oh, you is away. Is that why I wasn't invited? What do you mean you weren't invited? Well, welcome if you could have figured out when we were recording. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I believe messages were in the window. You're welcome to go back and listen. I think that's what you mean, right? <laughs> well, anyway, we are here to continue with the Korvac saga. And we are now... Up to issue 172 of the Avengers. And uh, do we, did we have any... Um, just there's no real new Avengers news to speak of. Other than Ant-Man is going to be out soon. And uh, be listening for the obligatory coattail riding Ant-Man episode with a which, little something extra. Which could air before or after this. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. You never know. The whole watch, watch your local listings. Yes. Check your local Two True Freaks page for further details. So, you guys uh, got any new news? New Avengers news? Anything? Bueller? Mm. Bueller? Well, I heard uh, Patrick McNee died. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was uh, the night we recorded the Ant-Man episode. We brought up that the ants were named after the Avengers. One was Emma and one was Steed. And it was yes. like the next day... Patrick McNee was dead. And and again, maybe that goes to that weird John Byrne prediction thing. The fact that we were covering well, a Byrne t- issue. So he predicted it 36 <laughs> years before it happened. <laughs> he predicted it. He I'm did the issue. Some 40-year-old's no, going to die one day. <laughs> knowing that a bunch of guys would be doing a podcast and the very next day he was going to die. That's how freaky John Byrne is. He's amazing. <laughs> Scare the crap out of you. Yeah, but he, he hates poor... Uh, yeah. Was it Terry Austin? Uh, no, Bob Layton, right? Bob Layton, yeah, he hates poor Bob, Bob Layton. Layton. Yeah, I was like, he better not 
hate Terry Austin. I think Terry Austin has made him look good. Yeah, yeah, my yeah, he has. I think Terry Austin makes a lot. I actually think Bob Layton made him look good too, though. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's very true. I disagree with his criticism, which which yeah. probably will forever put me on Burns' shit list because he apparently does not uh, does not deal with with disagreement very well. Mm, well, I'm used to uh, I'm used to disappointment. I'm married. Oh. <laughs> on a lighter note, I was teaching Ben to mow the yard um, yesterday. I got to stand out in the yard and point and direct and, you know. Pr- biggest, biggest, most important thing about teaching your son to mow the lawn is to explain to him, never, ever try and clear out the area with your hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing is also um, because the mulching thing is broken on the side so the mower's like wide open on one side you know and i told him never ever cut the lawn with a dog outside because you could probably kill them (laughs) a stray rock or a small matchbox car buried in the down in the in the uh in the tundra important safety tips tips to live by yes and i laughed and watched as he got right up against the uh the new fence in the backyard which is a solid fence and uh He's mowing back there, and he's got the side of the mower that's open to the world, blowing right against that fence, and it's blowing dirt right right in his face. And I'm just sitting there laughing. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what that's what parenthood's all about. Yep. I felt so much like Red from that '70s show. I'm just going, you dumbass. <laughs> I I let him do this like two two or three times, and then I I I stop him and go, hey. Spin it around 180 so it's not facing the fence. You won't get dirty. Oh, okay. And then he cuts one row. Then he comes back and he cuts the next row. And there's like this one-inch strip of grass right in yep. between it. I'm like, what are you doing? Overlap. 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 Yep. I oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, you can't see that? You can't see? It's like it's like an island of grass alone out in the out in the yard, and you just you're just you're off mowing the next section. Like, <laughs> see, what, what see, is it? see, here's where you you got your problem here, Bill. You're mistaking seeing that with caring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see what? It's 115 degrees out here. Can I just yeah. be done already? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then he's uh, he's he's turning the mower, and then it's kicking up a bunch of dust, and then the wind's blowing it back back in his face. I'm like. Cut with the wind. Like I'm like I'm the grass whisperer. Cut with the wind. Like when you fart. Cut with the wind. <laughs> with the wind. You don't want that shit blowing back in your face. <laughs> Think about be, mind be mindful of your surroundings. It's like Jedi lawn cutting or something. <laughs> You must cut what you have not cut. I think that was a deleted scene in The Empire Strikes Back where, where Yoda had Luke cutting the lawn. He was using a push mower, too. But he was using the force to push the mower. <laughs> edge or do not edge. There is no weed eater. Use. So anyway, Avengers Korvac Spotlight, huh? Avengers Korvac Spotlight. We're all here. All three of us are here. Woohoo! Woo! Yeah. And there was much rejoicing. Yay! <laughs> well, while all three of us are here, do we want to cover any any Avengers mail? Uh, we or have should three, we? We have three pieces of Avengers mail, all from Russell Bragg, which are on Korvac Saga two, three, and four. And I'm going to pull back the curtain. Uh, Russell is planning on joining us for the last episode of the Korvac Saga. So my thoughts were: let's oh, that's right, Russell we're going to make him read, read all his. his... At that time. Yeah, 
That's Let right. him read his own damn mail. There you go. Yeah, That'll be a first. Said, yeah. We'll make we'll make the guy that sent the email in. No, we did that on uh, Listen to the Prophets. We had Gene read his own email. Oh, that's right. That's right. I do remember that. That'll teach him. <laughs> Don't write into me. <laughs> yeah. No matter yeah. how much I ask for email. <laughs> but we do we do have a very full bins email box. Maybe we can get rid of one or two of these. Uh, want to go over one? Well, the first is from Ron Sadowski. Hi, Ron. And it says, Scott. Never heard of him. If you ever want to hear a really good Back to the Bins, dial up number 147. Jeff gets a little long-winded on Marvel Team-Up with the Master of Kung Fu, but I hit it out of the park with DC five-star superhero spectacular, known to some as DC Super Special Series number one. Not only do I review the Batman Cobra story, but I do the other four stories as well. My concise, passionate, insightful, and researched prose is a tour de force that I highly recommend. Ron Sadowski, Dinner for, Dinner for Geeks. P.S. Paul, if you ever need someone to come up with a Keith Giffen book that sucks for balance on a show, let me know. I'm sure I can find one easily. <laughs> Ooh, apparently, uh, Ron's not a big Keith Giffen fan, I guess. Because <laughs> we did uh, I had the episode where Blake P.T. was on with me, and we did two Keith Giffen books that were both outstanding. I remember that, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did. I listened to that episode. He's talking about, uh, back, uh, a while back when he did the, uh, you know, I was listening to it for the Cobra story that's in there, but Cobra. Yeah. I, I, I cried myself to sleep for a week, Ron. Thanks. <laughs> that, you know, it's just, he just beat me to it. That was one of those books I'd, I'd always wanted to talk about on a show and, when enough time goes by, maybe I'll do it at some point. Because yeah, that's uh, that's one of my my all time favorite uh, Batman stories is uh, that that saga. It was actually meant to be the story that's in that book was actually meant to be the next issue of Cobra. It was like Cobra number eight, I think, but Cobra got canceled, so the story got recycled and got print re, uh, not reprinted but printed. Uh, in that book that he's talking about there, but yeah, that's some great stuff because the art in that, I'm, I think it's, let's see, it's Mike Netzer, I think, and oh man, it's awesome, really, really good stuff. I like that a lot. It's like the last, I think it's like the last two issues of Cobra, and then it wraps up in that uh, in that Cobra story in the book he's talking about. Good stuff. Well, yeah, well, it was. Well, don't worry, Scott. We've uh, we've got the Celestial Madonna just waiting for you. We won't do that without. Thanks. You. So the, the next uh, piece of email, if one of you wants to take it, is Chris Franklin's doctoral thesis on Back to the Bins number 190. I wasn't even on that show, apparently. I mean, I can read it since I have no dog in the fight, if you like. I don't you think... can read it because I don't want to. <laughs> well, I don't think Scott's got the, got the email up anyway, do you? I don't know. Uh-huh. That's you guys sprung exactly it on me. The... All right. Hey, Paul, Scott, and Jay David, since Dr. Bill was on call... I like to throw in my two cents on Scott's discussion about DC not having a Bronze Age. I can definitely see his point, but I have to be honest and respectfully disagree with much of it. <laughs> I said Superman didn't have a Bronze Age, not DC. I think I said DC. And we continue. True. Some Silver Age tropes continued on at DC, largely because some Silver Age editors, Schwartz and Boltonoff, for instance, continued on at DC as well, but in the late 60s, DC saw the writing on the wall. Marvel was starting to mow their grass, so change was needed. Batman stayed under... <laughs> <laughs> Batman Actually, stayed I think it is. <laughs> yeah. 
Batman stayed under Schwartz, but they sent Robin off and off to college, swept out the remaining camp from the TV show era, and urbanized Batman's world quite a bit. Even Superman's comics started to change in reaction to slipping or stagnant sales, even before Mort Weisinger retired. Weisinger, Weisinger, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. Anyway, you guys have anything to interject at this point? No, no, I'm good. Okay, but when it came to Superman, those changes didn't last, though. I, everybody wants to point to the Kryptonite Nevermore thing as, as re, you know, revolutionary or, or innovative or whatever as you want to call it at the time. The the thing is, is it didn't stick. Yeah, six be, months later, you had a a, a, a small world community uh, colonizing Superman's belly button. <laughs> yep. But but it was it was I say I still argue that it was DC wide. They had little bits of Bronze Age thrown out there, which we've talked about examples of that, but they never truly got a unified feel throughout their mm-hmm. universe. Right. And you still had silly stories coming in, you know, sporadically in virtually every series, including some Batman ones that were a little silly. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I don't think they ever fully went into the Bronze Age until really until Crisis. And by then... It was no longer the Bronze Age. It became, I guess, I don't know, the Modern Age or right. some other age that you call it at that point. So I, right. I, I still maintain that while DC had glimpses of a Bronze Age, they never truly did. And it was certainly far from unified throughout the company. Right. Well, it's like I said before. I mean, to me, that's why Crisis on Infinite Earths number eight is so poignant at the end of the story when it gives the dates for the flash, it says 1956 to 1980. I think it says 85, if I'm not mistaken, 85 or 86, I forget. And I think that's the reason why they did that in there is that it was showing that not only is this the death of the flash, but this signifies the, the official you know end of the silver age of comics. So that to me is, you know, that that's a big indicator that DC itself was acknowledging that, you know, we didn't you know, the whole Bronze Age thing doesn't necessarily apply to us. I mean, I like I say before, I was really referring to Superman, but I think, you know, I think you got a great point, Paul. I think that, you know, a, a valid argument could be made that uh, that it could apply, you know, DC wide. You know, I mean, although, you know, there are definitely characters that that you know, made great strides, you know, like Green Lantern and uh, and Batman and everything like that. But it just it was different from what Marvel was doing. I mean, Marvel has very defined uh, stop, you know, start and stop points for the different ages that it had. DC doesn't. It just it lacks that. And it may have, you know, different um, attempts or different eras as far as little bits and pieces but it's not you know it's not as defined as what it is when applied to marvel and the the one thing that i think is important is i'm not totally critical of that right yeah i mean the marvel bronze age is actually you know that's my sweet spot in comics i have to admit but i love silver age camp i really do so the fact that dc had more silver age camp (laughs) <laughs> that I don't look at that and turn my nose up on it. I'm thinking, well, that's great. I love Silver Age Camp. It's just there aren't that many story arcs in DC's Bronze Age that you say this is a significant arc. You know, mm-hmm. you have your hard traveling heroes. You have 
your, your Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill run on Batman. You have Crypto Knight, Nevermore. You have the new Teen Titans. And it starts getting a little thin after that. I mean, we we covered a, a book in in Flash where they had a little bit of a Bronze Age run. But, but you know, that was following some incredible silliness, you know, just a few issues earlier. Mm-hmm. So, again, there's, there's glimpses of the Bronze Age, but there was no consistency to it at all. Well, you know, the other thing that I think hurts that argument, you know, for Bronze Age DC is that, you know, if you're going to point to some of these things and say, well, look, you know, here's where, you know, it started to, to change and get more, you know, whatever, more mature, or more serious or whatever. To me, what what makes the Marvel ones different from the DC ones is whether they you know, you backslide or not. Because there's, you know, we talked about like Kryptonite Nevermore is a great example of this, is that you can't look at that and go, oh, this is the official start of the of the Bronze Age Superman. If, you know, like you say, six months down the road, he backslides into what he did before. And that's what that whole era is about, you know, is that every time it seemed like Superman might be making a little bit of progress to be a little bit more modernized and, you know, taking him away from those the, those Silver Age elements they'd bring him right back to it within a short while, which is why it was eventually all ditched and rebooted in 86 with, you know, Burns Man of Steel. So I don't know. I, I think it's, I think a lot of it's perspective. I think a lot of it's, you know, just how you look on it, but yeah, I, I, I've never been a big fan of the, of the whole silver age or excuse me, bronze age thing for Superman. I just don't quite buy it. <clears throat> Bill. Doctor. What? Well, we will continue. Plus, you can't overlook the arrival of New Blood at DC. You had Dick Giordano come over as editor from Charlton. He shook up a, he shook up a lot of stodgy existing books, Aquaman and Teen Titans, for instance, and introduced a lot of new concepts. <clears throat> and introduced a lot of new concepts. Neil Adams' greatest impact was at DC, revitalizing Batman, Green Lantern, and Green Arrow, and radically changing DC's house style by drawing nearly every cover for the first several years of the 70s. Writers like Denny O'Neill and Steve Skeets brought a counterculture ambiance to the shirt and tie crowd running DC. All these changes were put into place as the Donenfelds and Jack Leibowitz, who ran DC from the 30s on, stepped down and handed over the reins to Carmine Infantino. He gave books to fellow artist Joe Orlando, who recreated the mystery titles, whole cloth, mimicking the old EC titles in a more sanitized manner. The success of the mystery books eventually crept into nearly every DC title for a time, with the superheroes constantly encountering the supernatural. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Joe Kubert interjected modern sensibilities about war and peace into DC many, DC's many war books. Shall I continue? Please. Sure. Okay. On the other hand, I feel like Marvel in the early 70s was de- desperately trying to hold on to that Marvel age feel that had made them so successful, and therefore kept a good chunk of their comics in Silver Age stasis for a time. The urge to still adhere to the Kirby House style of 60s can be seen in titles like Fantastic Four and the early issues of Conan. Artists like Rich Buckler, who Scott met just recently and got some things signed, began Mm -hmm. as Kirby clones. Yes, new writers came in with new voices, but they found those voices after aping Stan Lee as best as best as they could for the first several years. In fact, there has been much written about how Stan preached the illusion of change to the incoming writers to maintain the status quo. The Marvel style was still in effect, whereas DC had thrown away their house style when old writers like Gardner Fox and John Brougham walked away for various reasons. 
Just my take. I honestly think both companies changed enough to warrant a new designation in the early 70s. But other than Marvel's own horror craze beginning, I think DC went through more changes than their competitor, at least at the beginning of what we call the Bronze Age. I think mid-decade, DC had reverted quite a bit, just see the Batman family issue, as Infantino scrambled to find any way to beat the competition, whereas the Young Turks started to really inject some changes over at Marvel. I appreciate discussion and the chance to write in and offer a counterpoint. Now on to the comics. Like Scott, I picked up Spider-Man 1 and thought the same thing. That's it? Yes, this is truly beginning, truly the beginning of decompressed storylines. McFarlane's excuse is that he was no writer. Not sure what the modern day excuse is. Well, we, we, we all think he was no writer, so that's not a problem. <laughs> Scott, I recommended the, the DC Showcase Presents Robin um, volume. I'm also a big fan of Dick's Teen Wonder Years, and this book is chock full of Robin solo stories, most of them from his college years. You get Grell, Irv Novick, and a young Rich Buckler on art chores great stuff. That Bat Family story sure is, well, bat crap. But it's kind of fun. Totally nuts, but fun. That doughy Batman is a redraw of Nick Cardi and I believe Murphy Anderson's Superman on the cover of Shazam number one. It does Chris, look like that. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Franklin of the Supermates podcast and the Power Records podcast. Now, uh, that Batman family story, though, is another example of what, Scott, you were talking about with, with the backslide. Because that came after the Neil Adams, Dick, uh, what's it called, Denny O'Neill uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. And while we had fun with that story, it still was kind of silly with the ghost of Benedict Arnold attacking them. You know, it, it, it was a Silver age kind of concept. Uh, maybe only just a little bit more than because of the horror aspect of it that the, the comics code might not have let them do earlier. But other than that, it was kind of silly as far as the concept went. You know, so... I think it's yeah, an example. I, I, res- that I respect what Chris is, what he's going for, and what he's saying. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've given this a lot of thought because this has been one of those things that's that's kind of bugged me for a long time. You know, when I read it in in different trades and things, and you know, back issue magazine and all that sort of thing. Every time I, I see it applied to, you know, DC, but particularly to Superman, it's always just kind of bugged me because, to me. What defines a comic book age is when there was, you know, a, a moment that you can point to and go, okay, this was the official start of this because this is where things change. This is where a new innovation come along or a new idea or whatever that that changed, you know, the character or the medium or the company or whatever. And they went in a different direction at this point. And so it's a it's a clearly defined you know, line of demarcation that went from the old into the new. And I can't think off the top of my head really of anything with DC that does that except possibly for, say, New Teen Titans. And really, New Teen Titans has that because it's very Marvel feeling in a lot of ways. It was a very modern book for what DC was writing. So, I mean, there are certain examples that you can point to like New Teen Titans, I think what uh, what Levitz and Giffen were doing on um, Legion of Superheroes is a, is another one. But you know, by that point, you're so late in the Silver Age. What what I think is still the Silver Age that 
I mean, are you really going to say that DC's Bronze Age started in, you know, the the early 80s, just prior to Crisis on Infinite Earths? I I don't think so, because, again, that affected those titles. But did it change the direction of the company or, or, you know, did it did it affect line wide sweeping change? No, I can't think of anything at DC that ever did that, you know, prior or, you know, post uh, you know, the flash being introduced back in, in showcase uh, number four that, you know, was the clear beginning of uh, the silver age of comics. The next big thing that had that much impact on DC would be crisis. So to me, the silver age at DC lasts from showcase four to crisis on infinite earths. Number 12. That's just the way I look at it. And it's a very subjective thing. I mean, we have... It, it is incredibly subjective, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I see what people are saying when they're pointing to things like, you know, the uh, the Denny O'Neill and, and Neil Adams collaborations and everything. That stuff was innovative. It was, um, you know, very modern for the time and very cutting edge and everything like that and had impacts on the books that it was worked on. But again, did it revolution i mean did it re-energize and revolutionize and and change dc comics i don't think so because if it had then then everything would have felt that way and and they would have gone that direction and it would have been bigger than just what it affected because what did it affect it affected batman and green lantern essentially and that was pretty much it in the meantime you had wonder woman and superman and whatever else kind of slogging along with that same silver age wackiness and so it you know, you, you had pockets, I guess, is the best way to describe it. You know, pockets of, of, you know, where things were happening, but nothing that was, you know, that that big game changer for the company. I don't know. And, and that's my opinion anyway. I can't I mean, I don't I can't argue. I don't know that I necessarily feel there has to be one absolutely definitive point uh, with Marvel. I kind of felt like the change from Silver Age to Bronze Age came with the passing of the torch from Stan Lee as the writer of everything mm-hmm. to Roy Thomas coming in and then you know Jerry Conway, Steve Englehart, Marv Wolfman, Len right. Wein, you know all all these these you know young guns coming in and taking over uh, and Stan you know basically going to Hollywood like that that to me seems to be the definitive uh, switch from silver to bronze as opposed to one particular storyline Right. Yeah, I would agree with that because I mean, my my major, as always, my major, uh, I guess, yardstick to grade Marvel with would be the Avengers, and you can tell there was a change in the way stories were written um, as they progressed into the seventies. Right. That that it's a, it's a definitely like a line in the sand when Stan left. Now, and, now as far as the Avengers go, Roy actually took over while Stan was still pretty active writing in other books. So I still kind of see that as Silver Age when Roy first came on in the Avengers. Mm. Just like, you know, you had, uh, was it Larry Lieber writing some of the uh, Iron Man or Thor books? Right. You know, it, Stan didn't necessarily write everything, but he, but he certainly had his thumb on everything mm-hmm. uh, until he stopped writing, which was probably right around 1970. Right. And that's to me. That's you know. That's the start of the of the, the Bronze Age, and it's also kind of marked by uh, just an influx of new titles at that point too. 
Mm-hmm. You, you had a lot, a lot of new books. You had Marvel Premiere coming on. You had uh, the Defenders coming out. You had uh, Marvel Two and One, Marvel Team Up, like a bunch of new books coming in to, to join the ranks and and expanding the company too. I, I felt like that was also part of the uh, expansion to the Bronze Age. Right. Well, yeah, because if now with more writers, you wouldn't, it, you know, there wouldn't be. Stan wouldn't be able to write all those books either. Yeah, and it and it changed the flavor. Yeah, absolutely, it changed the flavor of of Marvel because now you didn't have necessarily one vision, you know, one man running one everything. One vision, giving, vision, vision. Yeah, Sorry. and then you know the other the other thing, if you think about it, that changed a little bit of the flavor of what you were getting was the softening, as opposed to the elimination, uh, of the Comics Code Authority, where all of a sudden you started seeing an influx of of monster books. You know, mm-hmm. with Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night and Frankenstein and the Mummy and you know Morbius appearing and you know all all, all these different characters and and a lot of them in the mainstream books as well. So you know, things got a little bit darker there as well. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of different events that we can point to, you know, as far as the demarcation. So like I said, I don't think it's just one clear line. I think there's a lot of different things that that occurred, uh, and 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 you kind of have a I guess if you had a Venn diagram, there'd be a little bit of overlap between the Silver and the Bronze Ages. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that's it for Chris's letter, and thank you. Uh, maybe we should, since that was kind of a long one, maybe we should stop at two letters for now and uh, yeah, save some more for next time. We've got still six in the bag, so we can do just little by little chip away at them. So I uh, guess we'll hop on into the book. And uh, like I said earlier, we're doing Avengers 172, which is uh, my information comes from the Marvel, the official index to the Marvel Universe, the Avengers book, the Avengers edition. And this book came out in June of 1978. Uh, Let's see. I was still living in Virginia. I was about nine years old. Yep. I would have just turned nine. Wow. Wee little Bill. We little Bill. Now, is that the cover date? See, I don't have the cover date information. Cover date is, let's see, uh, June. Oh, so it is June. Okay. Yeah, but we don't know when the on-sale date was. Don't see it in this listing. Probably on Mike's Amazing World, but I'm not looking at Mike's because I suck. Shame on you. Shame, shame. Oh, wait, that was a different podcast we did, which will come out eventually. That was the Game of Thrones podcast. (laughs) Anyway, we have uh, our cover. We still have our buddy George with us. Yay, George Perez. Yay. And Terry Austin. And it's a magnificent shot of Hawkeye ready to loose an arrow as the disembodied heads of Captain America, Captain Marvel, or actually she was Ms. Marvel, I believe, at this time. The Vision and the Beast look on at something. (laughs) And uh, at last, the long-awaited return of Hawkeye, Holocaust, in New York Harbor. And, as I said, the cover credits are Mr. Perez and Mr. Austin. However, inside, things have changed, and we have bid farewell to Mr. Perez. I know, and there was no rejoicing. And uh, we now have Mr. Uh, Our inside credits are Jim Shooter as the writer and editor. Sal Buscema is pencils. Klaus Jansen is inks. Denise Wool is letters. Phil Rachelson is colors. And Dan Crispy is, well, uh, he did the cover letters. So, And our synopsis goes like this. And no, there will not be any Arnold synopsis this time. 
Hawkeye returns from returns to an empty Avengers mansion, leaving the front door open behind him as he investigates. Moments later, Federal Agent Gyrich arrives, furious to find the door ajar. When the Avengers return, they are overjoyed to see the long-absent Hawkeye, but alarmed when he tells them he sub th that he subdued a red-haired intruder. Damn gingers. Realizing Hawkeye has unwittingly captured their new government overseer, the Avengers quickly free Gyrich, who scorns the team's security and revokes their Avengers priority status, severing their ties with the government and canceling all their special operational privileges. Moments later, the Avengers learn Quicksilver has disappeared and that Tyrak, not a Tuma, is attacking New York Harbor. Iron Man sends most of the team with ally Ms. Marvel to battle Tyrak, not a Tuma, but assigns Wasp and Yellowjacket to contact past Avengers, places Beast and Thor on standby, and heads to the lab to investigate the recent Avengers disappearances. During the ensuing battle with Tyrak, not a Tuma. It's not a Tuma. It's not a Tuma. And Comet is barking at something. Wonder Man is struck by Miss Marvel's combat, bra combat bravery and plunging neckline. Oh, and his over and his overeager attempts to match it enable Tyrak to catch them both off guard. When Wonder Man tries to protect Miss Marvel, though, Scarlet Witch rescues them and Vision dehydrates the villain while making a cup of coffee. Oh wait, he dehydrates the villain, the villain while into submission with the heat beams. Unable to properly contain or transport Tyrak, not the Tuma, without their operational privileges, the heroes throw him back into the water before he can die of dehydration. And the villain departs. Miss Marvel also leaves, bidding Wonder Man a half scolding, half flirting farewell. <laughs> Seconds later, the vision vanishes before his teammates' eyes. Meanwhile, the other Avengers have contacted several past members, but Beast and Thor have departed to deal with other crises. As Iron Man insists the rest of the team will continue to focus on the vanishing Avengers, a shadowy figure gloats over his capture of Quicksilver, Captain America, Moon Dragon, Vision, Two Gun Kid, and Jocasta. Dun dun <laughs> Next time. On all new Avengers. If I can find the last page of the book. Threshold of Oblivion. Really? Oh, yep. okay. And there we have it. All right, good night, everybody. <laughs> All right, so you want you want, to, you want me to attack the big glaring thing in this right off the bat? On the cover? No. Or you... Right into the issue. I'm just going to dive right in. Because I, I have been a huge supporter on this show of Sal Buscema. Mm -hmm. I've, I've said he's one of the most underrated artists in Marvel, in comic books, period. And... We uh, previously covered an issue of The Defenders that was drawn by uh, Busima and inked by Jansen. <clears throat> and I, I made the statement then that I think, or I thought, Busima's art never looked better than when Jansen uh, inked it. However, if you look at this book, it's credited Sal Busima Breakdowns. Yeah. So I'm thinking that, that Sal just did some very, very loose pencils in this and that most of the artwork you're seeing on the page other than the layout of the, the figures and the anatomy of the figures, is uh, Jansen. And I think he, he, he had a tendency as an inker to overpower his pencilers. And in this instance, he was given carte blanche to do it because I think Busima did very, you know, very quick layouts or breakdowns, um, probably in an effort to get this book done quickly because Perez had fallen behind on it, is my guess. 
And I don't think it looks nearly as good as the combination of the two of them when Sal would do more detailed pencils. Well, I do have to say that my hardback version does look better than the scan we're looking at, which comes from the 40 years of the Avengers. But even so, it still is really... Yeah, it's just not the same. It's just not what we've been seeing. It's it's It seems like a lot of the characters are... Well, I mean, going from George Perez to almost anybody else, you're going to say that at least I see a lack of detail is what comes to mind. But Perez is, you know... To me, he's the pinnacle of, of being a detailed artist with some of, even with his, even the simple backgrounds of cityscapes and, and rubble in battles and, and technology like, like we've seen through the past few issues. And now it's kind of like the, it, all, all that's gone now. So it's just stripped away and you're like, ah, what happened? What happened to all that beautiful art? Not that this isn't, is, I mean, this isn't bad, but it's just not, it's not what we've been, it's not that delicious steak we've been eating and it's like all we got left now is the freaking asparagus well you know in my opinion there are a small number of artists that i consider to be the absolute greats in the comic book world uh for me you know that's john ramita senior neil adams jack kirby john byrne george perez and after those five i'm not sure i include anybody else at that level you might be able to name one or two that i might say okay yeah and grudgingly put them in there but those are like the icons for me. Mm-hmm. And anybody else following them up is going to be a drop down sum. I mean, we've talked at great length about how much we love Rich Buckler. I mean, I think his artwork is, is enormous, but I don't think it's, at, I think it's still a step down from those guys. And, uh, and I don't mean to say that in, as an insult to him, but I mean to say it from the point of view of even an artist who I love doesn't reach that level. Mm-hmm. So, you know. When you're following up George Perez, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad, but it's just not – it's just not – and it, it's – in some spots, it just doesn't seem as consistent. Like some shots look really good, but then others just kind of break – just fall apart and don't don't seem to maintain the level of the art through the whole book. What do you think, Scott? I was actually doing – look. <laughs> what are you doing, your taxes? <laughs> I was looking to see what else um, Jansen was doing right around the same time to see um, because I had thought that I had spotted um, some um, Gene Colan influence in this. And it's funny because the next couple of things that he did, you know, immediately following this book, uh, at least in publishing order anyway, were Howard the Duck 25 and 26. But that comes after this, prior, you know, directly prior. And again, this is in publishing order. Um, you know, he was all over the place with different people. Now, he had been working with um, Colin. Or no, you know what? No, never mind. I was going to say he had been working with Colin on Howard the Duck. But I'm looking here, Howard the Duck 21, which he's credited as the anchor on, is not um, Gene Colin. Uh, 20 is so i mean but he'd been working with other people anyway um i'm really torn on the art on this because yeah it's it's not george perez you know but setting that aside for a moment you know when you when you open up the book and you get that that splash page of hawkeye you know walking in the door of of avengers mansion and everything um i you know i kind of like this because right off the bat you know i can see what i'm gonna get you know it says you know, breakdowns by Sal Buscema and uh, finished art by Klaus Jansen. You know, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take a moment. I'm actually gonna pat myself on the back a little bit because I think I've grown a lot over the years from where I started as a as a comic reader as a kid because these are two guys I couldn't stand when I was a kid. You know, if I put, picked up books by either one of these guys, I would more than likely put it back. But now I really have come to appreciate both these guys. And a lot of that came from just different things I've seen them work together on over the years, uh, especially on uh, some issues of the Defenders that they did that I really, really like. Even to this day, there was a great Defenders story, and I couldn't tell you which one it was, um, that had a great cliffhanger ending where, uh, where the Hulk was stuck as the Hulk, and he was going to be the Hulk for uh, like some... I forget what what Doctor Strange said at the end of it. He was, you know, basically saying, you know, congratulations, team. Now the Hulk will, you know, will be the Hulk for the next, you know, however many days or whatever. And I can remember as a kid that being a big, you know, like cliffhanger, like, ooh, you know, what's going to happen now type of thing. And it was, you know, it was their art that really sold it. And I love the way the Hulk looked. I, I like the way the team looked. So revisiting this, you know, kind of takes me back to to things like that. But I do see also an inconsistency um, in the inking in certain points because in certain uh, in certain points in the book, the inking is very strong. It's very thick, maybe even a little too thick in places at the very beginning of the book, like on page three, where uh, where I, the beast looks just a little too inked. There's just a little bit too much black in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the top of the page where the Avengers are looking at the defeated Ultron, that looks a little bit too heavily inked. But then you go just a few pages beyond that, and all of a sudden it goes from very heavily inked to very loosely, like, you know, I hate to say it, but it almost looks like Vinnie Coletta because it's almost like detail's been removed because it's very... Um, you know, just very kind of light and breezy on on both the pencils and the inks. So I'm looking specifically at the scene where the Vision is is fighting uh, whatever the hell this guy's in Tyrak, not Atuma. And yeah, yeah it's it, very it, sparse. Yeah, it is. It's very sparse. And then a couple pages after that, when you've got Wonder Man and Ms. Marvel rejoining the fight. Then it's back to heavily inked again, and then a couple pages beyond that, it's back to very light again. So it's it is very inconsistent in the inking, and I think it, at this time, you know, if if I'm reading the credits, you know, kind of reading between the lines of the credits, it was kind of on Klaus art-wise. And with this, it, it does appear to me that um, that Jan, uh, that Busima is not. Yeah, you know, I mean, it specifically says breakdowns, and I think that these are, you know, literally they're they're very loose breakdowns. Breakdowns. That's, that's what I think as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think was, Jansen is very inconsistent as well. I agree with you totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah because I we was, go we go some there's some some like panel to panel. Uh, okay, when Wonder Man throws Tyrak into the water, mm-hmm. um, the panel where he goes to pick him up, there's all these buildings behind him. They're on a dock. Next mm-hmm. panel, you got Wonder Man. And Tyrak and a yellow background and, and that's nothing. it. Yeah. And nothing else. Then you have him landing in the water. Then the next one you have a, you have everybody's head, no background, just blue, just a picture. Right. And there's a lot of panels in here that are just a group shot with nothing behind them but a color. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And that's that's just kinda disappointing. 
And, yeah. and some of that may be due to a time crunch to get the issue out. Right. Like I said, they may, they may have been expecting Perez to do this book, and, and he might have fallen behind, and now all of a sudden they're behind schedule, excuse me, behind schedule, and they might have had to scramble to get Busima and Jansen on it. So I don't know if they could take the total hit on this. I, I do give Busima credit because the storytelling, the pacing, all seem to be very good. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, and the anatomy all looks fine. There's nothing in here that looks particularly wonky as far as anatomy goes. So I'm thinking Busima did his job well on the breakdowns, but maybe it was too much to ask of, of Jansen, or maybe he just didn't have enough time to really, you know, give it his best shot. I'm not sure, but it's definitely not Jansen's best work. But, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you, you've got this book. It's, it's steamrolling right along. All of a sudden you lose, you know, the big guy. You lose Perez. Who do you replace him with? I'm thinking Busima and Jansen ain't a bad combination, you know, to to replace him with. I mean, during this time, who else might they have gotten, you know, on short notice to to bring in? John Busima and Tom Palmer. Yeah, that would be a good one. You know, it, it reminds me of when Perez fell behind on the first run of New Teen Titans and you had to have Kurt Swan come in and do an issue. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, Kurt Swan, I, I love I Kurt Swan, but I yeah. don't want to see him picking up a Perez story. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a worse person to to succeed. Because, I mean, that to me is you you talk about your old guard and new guard. There there you go right there. You know, <laughs> that's that's a beautiful illustration of that. Yeah. And I don't know anybody, even even hardcore Swan fans, I have heard go, yeah, that was not a good issue. And it's not. Well, see, it, it feels like it's like 30 years older than its release date, you know? Well, see, it's this issue and the next issue that are the most are going to be the most jarring, especially next issue, because next issue, there was multiple. It was like an all hands on deck. Right. To, Which, again, is probably speaking volumes about the time crunch. Right. Yeah. Well, it you even know, says that in the in in the credits on that one. You know, you've got it's still Busima on the layouts, but the inker is credited as D Hands, which was Marvel speak for. Uh, yeah, we had a bunch of guys contribute to this one. Yeah, and, and you can tell because it changes page well, yeah, to because, page. Because you have Pablo Marcus, Winslow Mortimer, Bob McLeod, Jeff Rubenstein, Dan Green, Rick Bryant, and Klaus Jansen, and they're all credited as D Hands for the inks. Mm-hmm. In the next one, yep, yeah, it's yeah, very, and we will definitely get it more into that one. Yeah, because time. yeah, with that one is definitely page to page. You're like, oh, okay, different artist here, right? Even I can pick those out. <laughs> but that said, I like the art. I really do like the art quite a lot. I don't have any complaints with it, other than I, I wish it was a little more consistent. But there's actually some some panels that I love. So I'm, I, I mean, I don't dislike it. I it's just it, it needed a little more refinement that it got. Yeah, and maybe I started out a bit on on the negative. I mean, it's still a good issue, but you know, it was just a really big change from what right. we could see in the past, uh, like four issues. Right. So we miss we miss George. Yeah. See, I'm 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 a little harsher on it than you though, because while I like aspects of the art. The inconsistencies throughout the book, I found bothersome. It really mm. did take it. It took away from the story, which I can't say that it did when I read the story when it was new. But I was more forgiving of it then, and I wasn't reading it with a critical eye as I'm trying to now. Mm -hmm. Right. So, well, you know, 
Well, why don't we why don't we look it over a little from the start here and kind of take our, take it through a little bit? Because I agree with you right off the bat that the splash page is very nice, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks even better in in the hardcover. It's got the very heavy uh, Klaus Janssen inks, but it's supposed to be him walking into the dark building, so it kind of looks like what it should at that point. I think. Now, how long has Hawkeye been away from the team at this point? Because I remember a time where the Avengers go to Hawkeye and Hawkeye was working as head of security for some company. This, I think this is in the issue, if I'm not mistaken, this is in that ROM issue. I mean, the ROM cover issue, you know, like pick two Avengers that are going to rejoin. the. Isn't that in that story? And a couple of the Avengers go to him and ask him to rejoin the team, and he kind of shoots him down, and then as they're about to walk out the door, he shoots an arrow that has a, a Playboy pinup on it that has the, he's written the word yes on it, or something to that effect. You know what I'm talking about? Not, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I'm not yeah. sure. I, just, I remember that scene, because that, you know, that was just an early issue I got as a kid. That seems like that's not too many issues from now, so... It seems like Hawkeye, you know, was constantly, you know, well, Hawkeye had joining and leaving, joining and leaving. Yeah. He, I he think he been, took his leave of absence when him and uh, the, the two, two gun, gun kid went out to kind of go right. across the country. Yeah, that was That's after, around like, issue one forty two, one forty three, around there. Right. Yeah. So he's been gone for a while. Then he's been gone a couple of years. Then. Yeah, I'm scrolling back to the book here to see. Where he must you just looking at the cover images, but yeah, he had been gone for a while. Yeah, I see him here in 133. He was on the cover, and then he was in 134. He was in 135 because it, it I, I think it was 143. That's cool. So it's you know it's about probably about two and a half three years in right. in real time, right? Mm-hmm. And the cover is is interesting to me because it's. True to the story, it's a scene that actually takes place in the story, but it's a little misleading because it gives you the impression that it's going to be a point where all the other Avengers have fallen and it's Hawkeye, you know, doing a uh, a final stand up against some villain, which, you know, would lead you to believe that Hawkeye is ultimately going to be the one who's going to defeat the villain that they're up against, which is not the case. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little deceptive in its own. Well, it does, but it does just say at last the long-awaited return of Hawkeye. It doesn't say he saves the day. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but I think that's still the impression you get from it. it to me, to me, this looks like you're you're going to deal with a Hawkeye almost solo story, mm-hmm. with with floating heads around him through the whole time. Hawkeye's back, floating heads, and that that cap head on um, the cover doesn't it look a little Starlinish, Jim Starlinish? He's got that yeah. e- elongated face look to him. I mean, it's because he has no body. He, he's all chin. I got no Boosty, body. bop. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just uh, so Hawkeye was my in... inner David Lee Roth. <laughs> oh, Boss Pataro, Gigolo. So uh, going back into it, I really actually dislike the shot of Beast's face on the third issue of the book in the middle panel on the left. Yeah, even in the in the hardcover, they clean it up, and cleaning it up makes it even look worse, if you can believe that, because it loses, it actually loses some detail when they try to lighten it, because they try to take out the heavy inking, and it just makes it look not... It actually looks better here, 
Well, the inking on his right cheek really looks bad to me. Like he took a sock to the face. Pow! Right in the furry blue kisser. And then, and then you go right below that. The, uh, the, the what's her name? The, uh, Sister Jude almost has like a sock puppet face. <laughs> hey Jude, you must don't, leave here immediately. Don't be a nun. No, oh. that just I I got nothing. I'm all tapped out on song. Take a sad nun and make her better. But to me, it's just the inconsistency of the artwork in it. I, I and that, like I said, that, that bothered me some. Uh, Vision kind of rips the uh, the metal foil, whatever that is, that's holding Gyrich in place. I'm surprised he didn't say, "Gyrich, hold still, and I will use my eye beams." But if you move an inch, I'm going to chop your arm off. <laughs> and I was you, thinking about like, that I could too. Eat your coffee as well. Well, look on page three. When they're flying after the nun tells them, you know, you guys got to beat feet, skedat, get out of here. It looks like uh, the Vision's cutting a rug there. Yeah, he's doing like he's doing the Charleston, <laughs> right? Right? He's he, he's got some moves there. Everybody else is in a good flying pose, but he's got he's got his hands out to the side, like he's sashaying off into the air. Whoosh, whoosh. Yeah, the coloring is also a little off on him there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got there's no there's no difference between the. The green and the yellow. All he has, he's, his whole body's green, and his face is like red, pink, or orange. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that panel you were talking about, where uh, the vision is ripping the metal foil off of uh, Gyrich. I've often thought in stories like this, where you have a super powerful being and uh, just a regular person that's like tied up or something. Like Superman would do this all the time. You know, he'd find Lois Lane tied up, and he'd just walk over and just rip the ropes off of her. I always thought, ow, because I mean, yeah, because you, you, the, the ropes have to be pushed up against something as he's breaking them. Yeah, and it would be against the person. So Ter- wouldn't that hurt? <laughs> Basically, tearing her into two pieces. Right. Uh, yeah, you would think that that would hurt. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> Guy Rich lays a smack down. You've been served, bitches. I am very surprised to find myself with with fond feelings for Gyrich because I remember at the time reading this as as a kid being like, oh, I can't I can't stand this guy. But then now, looking back now on you it, I mean, are, now you are him because that would be you walking in. Who the hell runs the security around this place? <laughs> I just walked right in the front fr- freaking door. Meanwhile, you'd walk in and, you know, Chris Honey will be laying there sleeping in the control room. <laughs> It'd be like, he wouldn't even be there. He'd be down the street at the movie theater or something. <laughs> With Scott 2.0. It'd be like you would, it, it would be like you while walking into where they have uh, Walt's head on ice. <laughs> How did I? You people just let me walk right in here? Just walked right in. Oh, my God. It's Walt Disney. <laughs> and then we'd see all these pictures up on Facebook, and then Scott would never be seen again. <laughs> and there'd be a new addition to the collector's collection. Shh. You're not supposed to know it's a collector yet. What do you think of that last panel on page 10? The Iron Man face? Yeah. That almost has a little bit of Bob Layton-ish to it. I like it. Yeah. It's got the... Because uh, the lines. The, the, yeah, the zipatone lines. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. And and I, I like the you know the gleam at the top of it. It's that he's in shadows with just a little bit of light hitting him. Yeah, I think that's an effective shot. I agree. Mm-hmm. But now... Like if you go up to the panel just above it, where he's saying, "No, wait a minute, that one looks." There's really not a lot of detail there. It's no. just kind of it's kind of washed out. It looks like Tusca. 
But mm -hmm. to continue going on to the next page where they start descending on the ship, that's I think that's a great camera angle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very, very effective. Very dramatic. Because yeah, because ba basically the ship is about it's about a quarter of the way over. Uh, one side of the top deck is almost is right even with the you know is is touching the water and uh, Tyrak is being shot at by the Coast Guard and he's he's banging on like the main one of the main smokestacks as Miss um, Marvel is uh, she's carrying Hawkeye underneath his armpits. Her and... hair is friggin' ridiculous. What is up with that hair? Well, she's flying, so her hair's blown back. That's really not oh, a bad. God. Well, that I was, mean, come was... on. That was kind of a style of the time, not not to have it blown back like that, but the way she is when she's not flying, that was a style, you know, that was a current a contemporary style at that time. Right. Yeah, that's like And the then you figure it's, it's it's you know, the wind is turning it into kind of a death bird slash right. Wolverine look. Wolverine, yeah. yeah. But that's and, the wind and I think that is that makes more sense than her flying at a fairly high speed and her hair not moving at all. Mhm. Mm yeah. And then Wanda's got her um hands around Simon's neck and something crushing into his back. <laughs> did they, that's they, why he's smiling. <laughs> did they ever hook up? Did they ever get together in the comics? Oh, well, who, I, who, I ha they, who they, hasn't had a thing for Scarlet Witch in the comics? Jeez. I believe they did in the, uh, I think in the Perez Busiak era they did. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, because she brought him back from the dead, supposedly. Yeah, um, that's right. Because he died in Operation Galactic Storm with the big well, bomb that well, went off. Yeah, I died, I died, I died. I thought he died in uh, in Force Works. Yeah, I think he did. He I died. He, well, wait a minute. He's died like 80 times. Didn't he die in Galactic Storm, too? I never read Galactic Storm. I cannot say. I thought he was one of the guys when they were trying to dis dismantle the big Nega bomb. Um, Don't know, I do not know. But I'm pretty sure he did die in Force Works. Hmm. That's what I remember. Anyway. It doesn't mean he didn't die in Galactic Man, Storm. I've read Operation Galactic Storm, and I could not tell you a goddamn thing that happened in that story. There, it, that uh, was one of those crossovers that, while it's entertaining, but it's a little too big. The big thing that I, I got out of that was that the Avengers go to Hala. Hala! The Cree homeworlds. <laughs> <laughs> and one group I think they went to Hala because somebody gave them a dollar, right? And one group decides to kill the uh, the supreme <laughs> intelligence, and the other decides not to. But I don't. I think it's Iron Man that decides to kill him, or is it? Because I don't think I think Cap was again. I don't know. One group decides that they are Avengers, and they're going to avenge. Um, avenge. Yeah, because they find <laughs> out that uh, old picklehead in a jar uh, was trying the to supreme jump. intelligence. <laughs> the supreme intelligence. I pickled. So, uh, yeah, floaty head in a jar. Uh, I always thought he looked like a giant potato. Mr. Potato? Yeah. Mr. Mr. Mutant Potato? He's like a giant green Mr. Potato head with tentacles coming out the top. Now, if that's head. not the stuff of friggin' nightmares, I don't know what is. I had a dime for every time somebody said I look like that. <laughs> You'd have <laughs> nothing. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah, we get to see... Uh, so they all come... F flying in, and um, of course Simon's just going on about how aggressive Ms. Marvel is. I like uh, that, though. They're still playing on his insecurity. They're not just... I, I like that they don't make all the heroes interchangeable. Right. You know, that they actually have individual personalities. Right. I like his, yeah. his feelings of inadequacy. Now, this... Uh, damn it, what is his name? I keep forgetting his name. Atuma? Tyrak? Yeah. Tyrak. Tyrak. 
Tyrak. He's you one make... snappy dresser for one thing. <laughs> and uh, who the hell is this guy? Because it, it's referring back and talking about how he almost kicked all their asses some other time. I'm like, I have read every Avengers book <laughs> up to this point and, and quite a bit beyond. I don't remember this guy at all. Well, he, he was in uh, Supervillain Team Up. He was? Was he not? I Bill? don't know. Well, which was one? he in that? Wasn't he in that Doctor Doom issue? We can yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one we covered. Yeah, that was the Private War of Doctor Doom, which, is, was, which was a tie-in from Supervillain Timo. Yeah, that's right. This is my, I am here to reclaim my honor, my pride to bring back to my undersea barbarian horde the heads of the Avengers who felled me. And the editor's note is issue is that fifty six or one fifty six? He he one 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 fifty six because he had been okay. hit like what was that the chloro beam or something? <laughs> and it, no, I'm, I'm they, they put some chlorine in the water. Is that what it was? Ah, ah. No, I'm looking back at. Oh, Avengers, all 156. right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, this is with Doctor Doom. This is according, oh, according yeah. to uh, Wikipedia. He first appeared in issue one fifty four. Okay, one fifty four. Where the are private war of Doctor Doom? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, who is the artist on the cover of this? Because it's oh, okay, it's Kirby. 156. Yeah, it's it's Kirby inked by Milgram. I really don't like that cover. Well, that was the Fat Iron Man cover. Yeah, that was, was like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we criticized that when we covered it. Yeah, you're right. That Iron Man on that cover reminds me of that what if, that comedy what if one. Or what if Tony Stark had an eating problem instead of a drinking problem? That's exactly yeah. what that looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I don't remember this era very well because the, the art, the covers were really crappy for some reason. And well, because you don't like it, Kirby. Yeah, it somehow it affected my enjoyment. Well, it's, I, I, you know, I've come to appreciate Kirby, but Kirby by Milgram is like, ugh. Oh, I, I, I hate criticizing Milgram so much because they say he was really a hell of a good, nice guy, but I'm not a well, big fan of Milgram. I, I see Milgram stuff that I do like because some of his Spider-Man stuff I really liked. But yeah, this here, it's just, he's just not a good inker for Kirby. And some of these covers are just awful. I mean, really awful. Because it almost looks like a Kirby impersonator more than it looks like Kirby to me. Because there were those, um, you say, oh, you God, what like is the, that, what's you, that guy's name? Theakston, Greg Theakston, who is you know like worships at the the altar of jack kirby and so everything he draws is if i'm thinking of the right guy is like imitation kirby but it's like third rate kirby and it's yeah it's not pretty stuff that's kind of what this looks like you sounded me. like um you sounded like the guy from airplane when you said Ugh. like oh that dress and those shoes oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, Tyrak, Tyrak. You know that makes me think of um, the movie Heavy Metal because that was the name of the race, uh, like that race of beings that uh. that that the chick was from. There was like she was the last of the Tyrakians. So. It made me think of that the Herald of Galactus that had the big axe. What was his name? Terax. Uh, Terax. Yeah, yeah, I was I was hoping Terax when the that, tamer. Yeah, Terax. that's who I was hoping it was going to turn out to be because I like that guy. You don't but like this, Tyrak, huh? Yeah, he's kind of. He's, he's got, like you say, he's got quite the fashion sense. Yeah, he's he's a snappy dresser. I I was like that big giant bird in that movie that 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 she flew. In All right, never mind. I'll stop. <laughs> I've actually never seen that movie. Believe it. What? Or not. You've never seen uh, Heavy Metal? No. You you've seen it, right, Paul? Uh, year, years and years ago, but yes, I yeah. did. I used to go go watch it at the midnight movie. Awesome. Just to see the nudity. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, if I, could, if I could just see it and, like, turn the sound all the way down and put a different soundtrack on, I'd probably enjoy the hell out of it. What? Yeah, There's some like good, it. oh, man, some yeah, good like art it. in that. There's, anyway, this isn't a heavy metal podcast. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> you, have to get, you have to get Tyler for that one. So, uh, so I, I also like the, uh, you know, we were talking about One Demand and his insecurity, and I like how he... You know, his diving into it bungles things for him and Ms. Marvel. Although I really don't understand how that works. Like, how did how did his coming in there, you know, what is his, your strength is truly impressive. You alone might have had a chance against me, but your blundering attack merely left you and the woman vulnerable. How so? Because I really don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's... Like, what, what, what about her being behind him at the moment that Wonder Man punched him? Made them more of a vulnerable. I don't know, but yeah, because he punches him, and the next thing he's got him by the throat, and he's got his, uh, you know, MC Hammer sunglasses on there, whatever those are. <laughs> Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. <laughs> Tyrak. Well, that was the name of MC Hammer's second album. Yeah, Tyrak. Or was it his first? I don't even know. No, I think it was his second. I don't was know. Was that his second? No, maybe it was the first. I'm not sure. Or was that one of his songs? No, I think the second was too legit to quit. Too legit. Which which really scares me that I even know this, considering how much I hate rap. But Stop! Hammer time. <laughs> Scarlet Witch says, okay, it's time for the jazz hands. <laughs> I really like the way Tyrak is defeated, too. He's dehydrated. A oh, little parched. Get some water over here. Yeah, oh, they're hot. all freaking out what? that he's going to die. Just somebody grab him a bottle of Gatorade. He'll be all right. Why, why don't his eye beams just kind of burn through his head? Instead, instead of dehydrating <laughs> his whole body, he had him that would have been awesome. He had him sit on low beams. Yeah. You just you just see the beams start to come out of the front of his head from the back. Searing, done. Heat. Vision has French cold, fry lights for for eyes. That cold, hollow voice. But I I'm dehydrating. Heat, sucking moisture from my board. Just shut up and just collapse already. <laughs> must reach. See. Must. Must reach. Maybe, maybe if he saved a little of his energy and didn't talk so much, he might yeah, have made it. If you'd shut up, you could have had that last breath that just jumped in or something. And, and it's funny because he's like thump right at the edge of the dock. You know, he's, he's like Otis Redding. <laughs> the dock of the bay. On the dock of the bay, the vision wouldn't let me get away. Fry me with his beans. I, I like that ultimately they have to make the decision to uh, toss him back. But uh, what was the, the comment where, where the, one of them says, you know, I, I don't think we'll beat him the same way twice. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. that, too. Yeah, why not? In fact, the second he came back up, if I was Vision, I'd be shooting him away again. Well, they say, and, you know, they're like, well, what do we do? Oh, he won't fit in a cab. <clears throat> of course, I, I guess I just went through puberty, not Wonder Man. Because <laughs> Wonder Man. Yeah, you send him in a cab with Vision, and every time he starts to wake up, Vision just eye beams him again. <laughs> Where, where am I? Oh, you take him out of the cab, he's smoking. <laughs> it's like a big piece of smoked Bacon halibut. Jerky. We're going to have us a fish fry. Smoked Smoke salmon. Smoked salmon. <laughs> so on uh, page 27, when uh, Ms. Marvel kind of flirts a little with Wonder Man, he's really got kind of a pencil neck going there. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He's got too much neck going on. Uh <sighs> Did he always wear a turtleneck underneath his safari jacket? I don't remember that. I'm not uh, yeah. sure. I think so. Yeah. I think that's the look, though. It had to be hot. <laughs> his pants so. are kind of form-fitting, though. 
Look at the very bottom panel on that same page. Oh, yeah, it's all mushroom. Oh, yeah. Right when the vision goes Leaving away. nothing to the imagination, man. We're, we're a loose pair of pants. That's why oh. she's flirting with him. Now we know why they call you Wonder Man. Wonder Man. Wonder if you wear any underwear. <laughs> and we have a quick, uh, that wasn't mentioned in the synopsis, there's a click, uh, three panels to where we uh, they introduce Black Panther into the story, who's under his secret identity of Luke Charles. Now, when I first saw that on that you know, that first uh, not first panel, but last panel rather, on page twenty-seven, the first panel that has Black Panther in it, and they called him Luke Charles. I thought that that was Luke Cage because isn't that Luke Cage's real name is Luke Charles? No, no uh, it's it's. I think it's Carl Lucas. Oh, that's yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah. I think you're right. And, and of course, he's got to have African masks hanging on his on his wall. No, no need to stereotype him or anything. Well, he does mm-hmm. say that he's teaching. Uh, he's going to be uh, teach a short series of special courses on African culture. So you know, he's got some brought some masks with him, and he's also working on a disappearing persons case of his own. The case examined in Marvel Two and One Number Forty, and it's nice that? to have flashbacks. Well, obviously, uh, I did have the thing and Black Panther in it. <laughs> I don't know. I can look it up. Keep going. Now, at the end of the uh, book, when when we have the flash of our mystery villain, is it me or is his face kind of reflected in the screen while he's watching uh, Iron Man, Wasp, and and Yellow Jacket? Is there a very vague reflection of his face there? Uh, It looks like one of those pig creatures from that one Twilight Zone episode to me. Yeah, I'm looking. It's not. There's nothing there in the. Uh, nothing that's too clear. But is there something in there? I I I thought there was. No, not in my version. There's there's nothing. There's just your the, version sucks. <sighs> not to Marvel be partial. two and one number forty is thing and Blank Panther. You called it. it well, I just figured. Re- it, hmm? well, I just figured it would be because he said it. Uh, you know, because he's right. a Black Panther and he's referencing that book. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of references uh, towards the end of the book. We have a reference to. Um, because what uh, the beast took took off, so they reference Marvel team up sixty nine and seventy. Um, oh, and oh yeah, because Thor actually is also in Marvel team up seventy thing. Is Marvel, Marvel team uh, up sixty nine is uh, Spider Man and Havoc. Who are they fighting? Is oh no, the yeah, because then at the end of that, oh the Thor Pharaoh, piece, they're fighting the. Uh, well, it starts off the Pharaoh and it ends up the living monolith, and then Thor joins the fight. The living uh, monolith. Hey, you know. At the end of the last episode, you guys were talking about taking solicits from the listeners on stories to cover. Mm-hmm. I'll throw one out there. That Marvel graphic novel of the Avengers fighting the living monolith. I friggin' love that. Oh, the one where, yeah, he, I'd be where he, he ends up out in space? I think so, yeah. Mm. yeah I did, always, always, always wanted... Uh, oh, God, I can't remember. But I always wanted a poster of the cover of that because it was the living monolith... You know, he was, he was, you know, huge. He was like Kong size and he's like punching. I think it's the Twin Towers, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Now, I don't think it's specifically the Avengers. Isn't it all of, uh... Yeah, it, it is a lot of the New York heroes, but it's primarily the Avengers, if I remember right. But yeah, you know, now that you say that, yeah, it is, it is not specifically the Avengers. You're right. Yeah. Oh, there it is. I think it. Okay. It's. I think it's Revenge of the Living Monolith. Right. And yeah. Oh my God. He's punching. He punches one of the twin towers right in the middle. Yeah. That's what I Knocks thought. Because it, it, it always reminded me. There's a. Um. 
a poster that's very similar to that for the uh, the '76 Kong movie. There's a a poster with with Kong doing something with the twin towers. It always reminded me of that uh, living monolith cover. What is that Marvel graphic novel? Which one is that? Is that Number like- seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, I just uh, pulled yeah. It. There Take it a is. look here. Yeah, I love that. So who's- oh, it's written by David Michelinie. I forgot about that. Mark Silvestri and Jeff Isherwood with the with a art team on that. I never would have guessed Silvestri because I don't typically like his stuff, but I do like that book. But yeah, that's a great cover. Yeah, that had uh, it had the Fantastic Four, Avengers, Spider Man, and the Hulk in it. So yeah, yep the the New York based. Yep, good stuff. Sorry, so, I mean to derail us. No, 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 that's fine. No. Well, I mean, we kind of hit on. The finer points of the story. Anybody have anything else to say to this one? I thought yeah. it was really cool that when you get the little um, the little cathode tubes at the end that are holding the uh, the Avengers in them, one of them is holding two gun, and I just think that's that's cool as hell. I I, I totally didn't remember him being in this story. I just think that's neat. Well, yeah, I mean, technically he was an Avenger, but I just I think it's cool that you've got. You know, I mean, this is at a time when the the Avengers are so incredibly diverse to begin with. You know, you've got you know the living legend of World War II. You've got a, an Inhuman and a, and a uh, or not an Inhuman, but a mutant. And you've got you know an android, and you've got a you know the robot lady. You've got uh, Moon Dragon, <laughs> this cowboy from the 19th century. It just cracks me up. You know, it's it's. So diverse. I, I love it. I, you know, I, the, the more diverse, the better on, on super teams. I love stuff like this. Yeah, because him and um, Hawkeye had been bebopping around, having a good time. Yeah. Riding trains. Hi, I'm he, okay. Hi. <laughs> Casey Jones, you better watch that. You better watch your speed. I was looking at something not long ago that had backup stories of Hawkeye and Two-Gun bumming around mm. and i'm trying to remember where those were and who did them i want to say they were neil adams i think but really? i can't remember now but man, i don't that think was... i've ever seen those yeah i'm trying to Let me see. I'll, I'll dig around and see if i can find that to refer you to it so you can take a look but oh man it was really nice if, if that's who it was i can't remember who the artist was now but it might have been might have been neil adams but really cool looking stuff all right so is it time to give this one a rating Sure, go ahead. All right, I'm, I guess I'll go first. Uh, I really like the cover. I think it's well composed. I think the color palette kind of complements itself. I think it's striking. Uh, not quite at the iconic point, but really, really solid. I'm going to go with an A- minus on the cover. The interior art, I like the breakdowns. I like the pacing. I like the storytelling. I don't like the inking. I think it's inconsistent. I think there's a couple of spots where it rises above that, but there are too many spots where it doesn't. So I'm going to say a C-plus on the interior art. Uh, story-wise, I think it's pretty cool. I think there's a lot of a lot of things going on here, a lot of character moments, uh, and, and still pro- slowly progressing the story forward, even though we have no Korvac in here. Uh, but we're still moving towards that inevitable Korvac conclusion. So I think it's well-written. It's still got a slow burn going. I'm going to go A-minus on the story as well for overall a B-plus on the rank, on the rating. 
you want to go, Scott? You want me to go? Go ahead. Uh, cover, even though it's simplistic, it's still. I almost bought a two hundred dollar version of this cover. <laughs> I was so close, but if I could have swung it and figured out how to explain a five foot painting of uh, a George Paris cover, yeah. But yeah, no. But uh, I have to give the cover an A. Um, I love the pose of Hawkeye. Of course, I just like Hawkeye as a character. Um, the interior art is a little—it's um, up and down. Uh, there's a few spots that it's really bad, but a few others kind of make up for it. So, I think the interior art—I'm—I'm going to give it a um, probably a B minus. And the story is still really good. It's really tight. You know, we're we kind of had a one-off adventure, but we've been following the plot threads of. Uh, of Guy Rich, and now um, they've lost their they've lost all their ties to the government, which is going to tie in rather hysterically in a few more issues along the way. And um, after this series is done, it kind of also evolves a few things in the Avengers roster too, as well. And although we didn't get any Korvac, we're still still addressing the um, the disappearances of the Avengers, which may or may not in a roundabout way tie in the quarterback we'll just have to wait and see so i'm going to give the story a a as well so pretty much um b plus a minus for me on the book cool um i'm not near as enamored of the cover unfortunately um and it pains me to say that because it's two of my favorites on this cover you got george perez and uh, and terry austin but um i don't know there's just something about it that's wonky to me but I do like the Hawkeye portion of it. That's that's. I mean, it's iconic for that image. Um, I'd probably go. I'd probably say a a, a B, because there's definitely some room for improvement there, right there. I'm not crazy about the all orange and all that. A lot of it has to do with the color uh, scheme of it. it. Doesn't quite work for me. And there's just a lot of unused space. There's not not any detail in the background kind of thing. Uh, but not a bad cover by any stretch. I just, it's not one of my favorites either. Um, the interior art, I really dig this. I'm surprised that you guys didn't dig it more. Um, there's definitely problems with the inking. And I suspect that the, the printing process itself may have also hurt the book a little bit. Um, and some of the color choices may have as well. Because some of the coloring it looks a little muddy. So it's hard to tell, is it muddy inks or is it muddy coloring or is it a combination of the two that makes the, the art, you know, that, that hurts the art a little bit in some places. Uh, but I do, the, I do think there is some inconsistencies in the inking itself. But overall, I mean, I really like the team of uh, Sal Buscema and, and Klaus Janssen. As a matter of fact, I'm not much of a fan of Klaus Jansen. About the only time I really do like him is when he's thinking Sabusima. So um, I'd, I'd have to give it a, I'd say, honestly, I think I'd say about a B plus because I really do like the interior art, but there there's definitely room for improvement in here uh, with that art. Story, I think I'd give the story a straight up A. I really enjoyed it. I I have great respect for Jim Shooter as a writer. I, I think he understood comics in a way that that few other writers uh, really have. You know, of the of the latter generation. You know, those guys that came in after 
uh, you know, uh, Stan Lee and, and, you know, Roy Thomas and that, and kind of were that next generation of writers. And, uh, you know, Shooter for me is right up there with, say, like Roger Stern, who's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, you know, right up there with, with Stern, right up there with uh, Michelini and, uh, and some of those other guys that I really like. So I, I like this. I mean, this to me is just, this is really my era of Avengers. I came into Avengers not long after this. As a matter of fact, I think some of the earliest Avengers comics I had as a kid were coverless copies of the last few issues of this Korvac saga that we're going to talk about. So, you know, as we get to those, I'll, I'll mention which ones they are. But I just, this roster of the Avengers is just, th- this is really my era of Avengers. I really like this. So a lot of this was just, you know, a walk down memory lane. I really enjoyed it. But I, I like the story overall. Even with the weak-ass villain, I still enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, I think that Shooter was really good at being able to juggle stories and ongoing, you know, plot threads and romantic interests and just all the different things that were going on with all of these, you know, with these different characters uh, internally. And and as Paul said before, giving each character their unique voice so that it wasn't just dialogue that anybody could say. And I really appreciate that. I like that. I know that that's not an easy thing for, uh, for writers to do on big team books, but of course, you know, this is shooter's strength. You know, he started out doing Legion of superheroes and you'd be hard pressed to find a team bigger than the Legion of superheroes. So he was well practiced at that sort of thing by this point. So, uh, I forgot. Did I rate the story? I think I did an a, yeah, I really like the story. That's it. I guess that's, that's our coverage of issue 172. That, did you get that link that I sent you? Yeah. I found where that yeah. story was. I, I remembered what it was. Is not long ago I was going through and um, using Mike's Amazing World to find more stories of some of my favorite artists that I may not have seen or noticed before. And I found this story in the most unlikely of places. Uh, it was actually Marvel Tales, the reprint title that reprinted old Spider-Man stories. Marvel Tales number 100 actually had... Uh, this, uh, to my knowledge, it's the only place this story was ever printed, and I don't think it's ever been reprinted. And it was just a, uh, a short, several-page story of Hawkeye and Two-Gun Kid uh, called uh, Killers of the Purple Rage, which is a take on uh, Writers of the Purple Sage, and written by Scott Edelman. But the art here, this is why I sought this out, is by, again, it's by Mike Netzer. The guy's real name is Netzer. Back during this time, uh, he, he went under the name Mike Nasser, N-A-S-S-E-R, but his real name is Netzer, and he's still around, still does art from time to time, and inked by Terry Austin. So, I mean, again, mm. you've got two of my f- absolute favorite comic artists, and even though Hawkeye's in the story, it's essentially a Western, and uh, really, really great stuff. And, I mean, like I said, I was just amazed to find this in Marvel Tales of all places, because Marvel Tales is... Uh, you know, it's a Spider-Man reprint book, so really odd. Um, I found it by doing a Google search, and I, I can't give you the whole address here because it's way too many dashes and stuff in it, but if you just do a search for it, um, the site overall is called diversionsofthegroovykind.blogspot.com. If you search around on there, you'll probably find it, and it kind of looks like 
if I'm not mistaken, I think this reprint. Yeah, it does. It reprints the story in total right here. All it's just a six-page story, and all six pages of the story are here. You can take a look at this for yourself and see how beautiful the art is on this, and why I'm so enamored of uh, of Mike Nasser. The guy was a hell of an artist. Well, the opening page uh, where they're on the horses and the ground mm-hmm. o- o- opens up and the horses are rearing up and they're falling in the hole. Those horses look awesome. Isn't that a lot beautiful? Of people, a lot of people can't draw animals. They can draw people, but they can't draw animals. Yeah. Isn't it yeah. gorgeous, though? I love yeah. these guys. Are I, just, I wish he'd done more because he really has a, a relatively small body of work. He, he really did not do a lot of stuff. And... Uh, I'm trying to remember what the hell it was that I discovered. I, I want to say the thing I discovered him on, I, I believe, was that Cobra story that that mm. uh, wrapped up, uh, you know, the Batman story that wrapped up the Cobra story um, that was referred to by Ron, you know, at the beginning of the episode in the email segment. I believe that was the story where I discovered him because how he drew Batman uh, in that issue is just fantastic oh. because it's somewhere between... Uh, like Neil Adams, uh, a little bit of Jim Aparo, and like maybe even a little bit of Rich Buckler thrown in there. I mean, the guy was a powerhouse. And if he had done more art, I think that he would be remembered right up with those guys today. But unfortunately, he just he didn't do much before he uh, got out of comics for a long time. And then he, you know, he ended up coming back. I want to say this was in the '90s. He came back under his real name of Mike Netzer. And he's still a great artist, but, you know, as happens, his art changed and it just doesn't it, it doesn't look the same anymore. I'm trying to remember what it was. He came. There was one high profile thing he did after he came back. But for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. I want to say possibly Armageddon. Um, one of the sequel Armageddon, but, you know, Armageddon 2000, what was it, 2001, I think was what it was called. I think maybe mm. possibly one of the sequel books, but damn, I, for the life of me, I can't remember. This is testing my brain muscle way too much. Brain hurts. Yeah. <laughs> His brain. You you gave the, uh, the website, though, that you shared with us? Did you provide that? Yeah, yeah. It's called uh, Diversions of the Groovy Kind, all one word, dot blogspot dot com. And if you search around on there, you'll find it. Um, it's uh, uh, Bring On Backups, Hawkeye and Two Gun is, is the keywords to look for on that. But yeah, beautiful, beautiful artwork on there. And I'm why is it up. called Killers of a Purple Rage? Well, you'll have to find out because somebody, <laughs> the villain might be purple. And he might be a man. Let me see here. I want to look real quick. It kind of answered uh, our question. Oh, my God. Page, I'm right. Look but... at that. How good am I? Yeah. He came back. Uh, he got out of comics in 1981. Um, and then he wasn't seen for 10 years. And he came back and he worked on. He did one issue of Armageddon Alien Agenda. And then he did three of the four issues of Armageddon Inferno. Which, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was the one that brought back the Justice Society, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Remember, the Justice Society had gone off to limbo? Mm. Yes? No? Maybe? Mm, no, maybe. After the end of the, the Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, the Justice League went off to... Uh, I don't know what you would call it. It wasn't quite Heaven or Valhalla, but it was, I don't know, another dimension or something. And they went to where they were... 
trapped in this dimension where they had to fight Ragnarok for all eternity. Well, that and sucks. that's yeah, and they were just they were essentially they were banished there by DC because DC was just trying to get rid of them at that point because they considered them kind of a a remnant of Earth too that they just assumed just be rid of, and they were there for a number of years, and then due to fan demand, they were finally brought back, and they were brought back in the last issue of uh, of Armageddon Inferno. They they returned from limbo. And that was their like big return, but yeah, that was Mike Nasser that did that. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you look on Mike's Amazing World, um, I mean, it's it's a relatively small body of work that he had uh, in the late '70s, right up to 1981. It's it's a very small body of work, but damn, it's it's some truly amazing work, really beautiful stuff that he did. Just just not much of it, unfortunately. Well, looking at I did a quick glance through the six pages, and it's got a touch of Neil Adams with some mm-hmm. of the layouts and how yeah. characters overlap um, other, uh, yeah, yeah, the panels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, like, like the horse, Hawkeye's horse is overlapping the panel above, and then there's another shot where the villain is overlapping two panels. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, and it's, and, and it's pretty detailed too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this opening page actually answers a question we had earlier. Uh, there's an asterisk saying two gun was brought to today after the time war with Kang in Avengers 147. So that's when he came around. And also we're, oh, that's right. we're going to see, um, I guess a minor spoiler for the next few issues. Two Gun's going to go away, but we're going to see him. He comes back again to the Marvel Universe. He comes back in West Coast Avengers, and I believe he comes back again at another time in She-Hulk, like in yes. the 2000s. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. So he'll be around. Yeah, I like him. I don't I don't know near as much about um, Marvel's Western characters than I do about DC's Western characters, but him I always liked. I always thought he was really cool. I liked him, and I liked Rawhide until they uh, they they reimagined. What's that? I said until they turned him into a joke. Yeah, yeah, that's the kindest way to put it. Yeah, Yeah, they they did, and I thought it was. Did somebody say Rawhide? Yeah. Get the books a rolling. What's coming up next time? Big Paul. Next time on an all new Avengers Spotlight, we'll be looking at issue 173 with, I guess, Salbusima Hart again as Jim Shooter continues the Corvac <laughs> saga. Ah, we'll have the many hands. And then there were none, is on you the keep cover. Keep your many hands episode. to yourself, dude. D hands. Look at these hands. These. Anyways. I think we're, that's a wrap, boys. That's a wrap. That's it's a wrap. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. 
and is a registered trademark of DiManzocorp of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Oh, sorry, I was eating a Pop-Tart. Ha, 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 ha,